discover the inherent power of God in you. Whether there are challenges or not, we are still the same. We are constant. God is constant. God does not change. And that is the life that we have received. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the same life we have also received. We are also the same yesterday, today, and forever. What kind of life? We, we, we are the same because we have the same life with Christ. So when you think about God, think about you. Because everything He is. That is why He told Abraham, He said, I am your, your exceeding great reward. God gave Himself as a reward to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. Therefore, we have inherited God Himself. Listen to Pastor Oti Boateng as Christ is magnified in you. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for all that you're doing in your children's lives. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the ministry of your spirit, the ministry of your word that are functioning right now in this place. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for great grace that has ministered to everyone, to your glory, even in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so on Sunday we began um, um, some ask questions and answers. We call, we call it Ask the Arthur. And uh, I, I, we answered a number of questions in church. And we mentioned that we're going to continue today um, during our MC meeting. And we've had a number. We asked you to send in a, some questions. And we've had a number of questions here this evening that I want to, I want to answer. There are a lot of them. I have, I think, about two pages of questions. And um, I'm going to attempt to answer everything within the time frame that we have. So... I'll, I'll do my best to go through all of them. Okay, if I don't get your question, don't worry. I know that at the right time, we'll answer your question. Okay, so this one says, um, talking to a lot of people, they don't want to come to God because they feel that they will not enjoy. They basically want to finish doing all the bad things and then come to Christ later. God is a loving and merciful God, but at what point does God's mercy run out? Because in First Corinthians chapter 5, there is a story about where God says to give the soul of a man to the devil, that it is better for him that way. You know, but let me pick it one by one and then um, answer it for you. Um, so he's asking whether God's patience and mercy runs out at all. You know, and that people, some, a lot of people want to enjoy the world for some time before they come to the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, the Bible talks about now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. I showed it to you on Sunday in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Look at 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1. I'm going to show you a lot of scriptures in an attempt to answer all your questions, okay? It says, We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Next verse. For he said, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee or helped thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Hallelujah. Now, let me read it again from verse 1. This time, let's read it in um, the Amplified Version. Laboring together as God's fellow workers with him then, we beg of you not to receive the grace of God in vain. That merciful kindness by which God exerts his holy influence on souls and turns them to Christ. Have you seen it? <laughs> Keeping and strengthening them. Do not receive it to no purpose. Next verse. For he says, in the time of favor of an assured welcome, 
I have listened to and heeded your call. And I have helped you on the day of deliverance, the day of salvation. Behold, now is truly the time of a gracious welcome and acceptance of you from God. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So when you hear the gospel, that is the day of your salvation. You don't have to postpone it. If you postpone it, you may not live. You don't, you don't know your expiry date. You don't know when you're going to check out of this world. Sometimes some people say, I'm very happy. I'm very, I'm very strong. I'm very healthy. You know, but then something can happen and then the person goes out of the system. You see, the fact that you are strong now and healthy now does not mean that nothing bad can happen. We are not expecting anything bad to happen. But then he's letting you know that this is the time of salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made for you. So you need to give your life to Christ. You need to accept him now. You know, I showed it to you on Sunday that the problem is that people love darkness. What you're saying is actually very true. People love darkness. Um, John chapter 3. Verse 16, 17, and 18. Let's read it. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. Then he says, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he, he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Then verse 19 is what I want you to see. It says, and this is a condemnation or judgment that light is come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Men love darkness. So it is, it is true. Men, human beings love darkness. They love their evil way because evil is so nice to the flesh, of course. Okay. But it ends up affecting your soul. It ends up affecting your spirit. It ends up affecting you, generally. You realize that you are not happy. You are depressed. What, what they call enjoyment is actually not enjoyment at all. It's not enjoyment at all. It's just a fleshly pleasure for a brief period. But there's real joy in the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's called the joy of your salvation. Mm-hmm. He says, with, with joy shall you draw out of the wells of salvation. Salvation brings you something called joy that you cannot get otherwise and in any other way. Okay, so God is merciful, of course. God is not willing for any sinner to go to hell. God is as patient. Uh, he's more patient than any man could ever be. He's merciful. And he's patient. His, his mercy does not run out. His mercy is there. But we don't know when your time is going to run out. When their time is going to run out. Maybe the devil has planned. You know, it is, the, it is the devil who has put you in that particular place to let you think that, oh, this is very nice. I can't stop doing this particular thing. If I, if I go to God, I'll not be able to do A, B, C, D. I'll not be able to uh, do all these things that I'm doing now. So let's hold on. When uh, I feel, I don't know when you're going to feel okay. And feel satisfied with these things. Because it never brings you satisfaction. It never brings you satisfaction. At the end of the day, it leaves you uh, uh, depressed. It leaves you poor. It leaves you confused. There's nothing. There's no vice in this world that leaves you with true joy. No. There's none. They normally leave you with depression. 
with sadness, discouraged, beaten, battered, shame. That's what it does to you. So it's, it's not enjoyment, actually. It's actually not enjoyment. You, you like this. You're asking whether God is going to be is patient enough. Um, let's, let's read Second Peter chapter 3. Let's read from verse 8. He says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Have you seen it? Now, let's read the Amplified of that. I'm sure it will help us. Verse 8. He says, nevertheless, do not let this one fact escape you, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a, is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Verse 9. The Lord does not delay and is not tardy or slow about what he promises, according to some people's conception of slowness. Don't think that God is slow. But he is long-suffering, extraordinarily patient. Have you seen it? He is extraordinarily patient toward you, not desiring that any should perish, but that all should turn to repentance. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to turn to repentance. So he's extraordinarily patient to all of human humanity. So his patience does not run out. Neither does his mercy run out. But will the devil allow you to get to the place where you can decide that, oh, now I'm okay. I want to, I want to save God now. He's so wicked, he may not allow you to get to that point. God would want you to... Every day is a day of salvation for you. That's the truth. But the devil will, will deceive you. He's called a deceiver. He deceives you with the, with the pleasures of sin and with the uh, seeming enjoyment of, of sin. You know? And then it's like uh, that chicken that was being fed in the poultry, in the poultry farm. They were being given all those nice uh, meals. All the nice meals. We're getting it. And we're eating. And we're saying, ah, our poultry farmer is so nice. He's a lovely man. They were, they were having discussions as they're eating the corn and eating the wheat and all of that. They'll be discussing. Oh, 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 our, our, our poultry farmer is so nice. Wow. He's really feeding us. Look at how we are becoming fat. Look at you. You are becoming fatter and fatter. They, they had no idea they were being fed for one purpose. To end up in a soup or end up in a stew to pour hot boiling water on them. They had no idea. And that's how they ended up. So that's what sin does to you. Okay? If you read in James, James chapter 1, I started reading it to you the last time. James chapter 1, um, verse 13. You know James is in the Bible, right? James chapter 1, from verse 13, says, Let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Have you seen it? Then he says, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth something called death. So sin is actually not enjoyment. The end of sin or the wages of sin is death. It will kill you to destroy you on every side. That is the that is the aim. So don't say well, we are enjoying. You are enjoying what? You are not enjoying anything. You are sleeping around all over the place. Sometimes it's as though HIV is not around anymore. Yeah. You have no idea. Visit the hospitals, you'll be shocked at the number of young people in universities who have HIV and are still sleeping around with people. 
you'll be surprised. You will be shocked. I have a friend who works there. He worked there for some time, you know, the HIV ward. And he was like, he was, so he was shocked at the number of beautiful ladies and handsome gentlemen who walked in and were positive. And were living their lives and moving around, infecting others. And it is supposed to be kept private. It's amazing. So, God's mercy does not run out. But like I said, sin's um, end, the conception of sin, it is when sin is ripe, then when last has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin finished brings forth what? Death. If you read in Romans, Romans chapter 8, it shows you some more concerning um, what sin does to you. Um. I'm reading verse 12 now. Romans chapter 8 verse 12. It says, therefore, brethren, we have debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Okay? It says, we have debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. This is what happens if you live after the flesh. You shall die. You shall destroy your life before the time. You will die before your time. You will leave this earth before your time. You will make shipwreck before your time. So all these people who seem to be enjoying, it's like, oh, they are high-time guys, they are high-time ladies, they are, you know, going to all the places, going to Dubai, a big man has taken here to Dubai, this one has taken here to... You, you have no idea. And you, you are a Christian, you are jealous. Don't be jealous. Don't be jealous at all. Okay? And the one written in First Corinthians chapter 5, First um, Corinthians chapter 5, uh, had to do with a young man who was in the house of God. Let's read it from verse 1. 1 Corinthians 5, 1. You made reference to this, so I want to just show it to you. It says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. Uh, this is the church. So he was talking to people in the church. The Corinthian church was a very interesting church. He said, It is reported commonly among you. There are, there's, there are reports that fornication is all over. And the fornication that is in the church is not even named outside to the extent that one guy in the church was sleeping with his father's wife. That was his girlfriend. His father's wife was his girlfriend. Wow. And Paul was angry. So he wrote and said that, listen, in the verse 4, go to verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So this is something that something that can be done in the house of God. When someone in the church is he's in the church, he's a brother. Okay, he's he's born again, he's a child of God, he's inside the church, he's fine, everything is okay, he's growing and all of that. And then he starts messing up and starts fooling around. He's doing all the things that outsiders do, and he's even doing way more than that. Okay. Something can be done. The pastors in the church can do something. They can give his flesh over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. In other words, they can give him over for Satan to kill his flesh because already he's giving himself over to Satan because of the things that he's doing. Uh -huh. So in order for him not to sin and sin and sin and get to a place where he will denounce or renounce Christ, we can pray for him and have mercy on him. It's the mercy of God, actually, that the person's flesh... An accident can happen and the person will die. And the person will end up being in heaven. You see, so that the person, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So that it doesn't end up affecting his spirit. You get it. He doesn't end up getting to a place where he will denounce or renounce Christ and say that, oh, this born again thing, uh, I don't agree with it anymore. It's foolish. Like I mentioned to you on Sunday, that people can get to the place where they commit the unpardonable sin. 
So this is to prevent church members who are fooling around. I'm not talking about uh, people who are now growing in the Lord. Okay, if you are growing in the Lord, you you may do one or two things, but uh, the mercy of God is there for you. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, just if we sin, it's not compulsory to sin, but if you should sin. It, that's written in First John chapter two, verse one. He says, "My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not." Then he says, "If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and He is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world." Go back to verse verse one. It's my little children. It's the little children who are into sinning. Do you see? So he says, "My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not." He says, "Don't sin. Don't do any foolish thing." Then he says, "However, if any man sin." We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have a lawyer with the Father. We have an intercessor with the Father who talks on our behalf. He's called Jesus Christ, and he's a righteous. He's a righteous one. He's your righteousness. Remember that. That's what he's talking about. So he's talking to little children. But the, what we are talking about earlier in First Corinthians chapter 5 is in reference to this man who had grown in the Lord and was fooling around. He was not a little child in the Lord. He had grown in the Lord, and he was messing up. Doing whatever he wanted to do. Paul said, when we are gathered, and my spirit will be. Paul was not even there. He said, but my spirit will be, be with you in the meeting. Give that person, pray and give that person's flesh. Give his body to Satan. When you are gathered together in my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 5, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You can do that. To, dis- to deliver him unto Satan. So that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Let's, let's read the Amplified. I'm sure it will enlighten us some more. You are to deliver this man over to Satan for physical discipline. To destroy carnal lust which promoted him to incest. That his spirit may yet be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. I don't know if you are seeing it. It is to give it over to Satan for physical discipline. To destroy carnal lust which promoted him to incest. Okay, so that his body, his flesh can be destroyed. So sometimes you have a, a Christian who has been in the house of God for a long time and he starts fooling around, he starts, he's, uh, he, he starts duping people. He's born again, he knows what he's doing is wrong. He's a child of God, he's grown, he's, he's, a, he's a young man. There are different levels in the Lord. There are babes in Christ, okay, there are young men in Christ and there are fathers in Christ. So these are fathers and young men in Christ who are who are messing up and know, they know exactly what they are doing. They know exactly what this means. But then they want to fool around. They've just decided. They know the grace of God. They know Jesus Christ. They know about the righteousness of God. But they have decided that I don't care. I'll do whatever I want to do. He says, deliver such an one to Satan. Now, don't come and ask me questions. Pastor, have you ever done that before? I've not yet had anybody get to that level. So I've never done that before. Okay. But this is something that is in the Bible. This is something similar. This is what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. If you read, if you've read Acts chapter five before, you see something very interesting happening at the birth of the church. The church was very young, but then something very interesting happened. These people, uh, Ananias and his wife, um, Sapphira, did something. They, 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 they were going to give to the Lord. They sold their house, kept some of the money, and brought some. As though that was the whole amount. They were lying to the Holy Ghost. So, um, Peter mentioned that you have, you have sinned by lying to the, look at verse 3, Acts 5, 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Next verse. Whilst it remained, was it not your own? 
and after I was sold, was it not in your own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Verse, verse 5. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. He died. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. Have you seen it? Ananias died. In the church. He died in the church. Right before the church. Because he lied. He lied to the Holy Spirit. He was pretending and doing, doing things that he wasn't supposed to do. So, Peter gave over his flesh to Satan for distraction. So that his spirit would be saved. So this guy, you meet him in heaven. He was born again. He was a child of God. But he lied to the Holy Ghost. He was not supposed to do what he did. He knew what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. And did it anyways. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, these things happen. They are scriptural. They happen here in the Bible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, so I think I've exhausted that question, isn't it? Let's go on to the next one. Good evening, Pastor. I kindly want to ask on newly born convert or a believer in Christ. There's a popular teaching that says Christians do not sin. How does one not sin yet live a sinful lifestyle? I believe this leads to self-condemnation as a question because in your heart you are reminded not to sin, but yet you live a sinful lifestyle. This is from Daniel. I don't know if you, you catch the question. Basically, what he's trying to say is that how can we say that a child of God does not sin. If you read in First John chapter three verse nine, that scripture is found in First John three nine. Let's look at First John three nine. He says, "Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. I don't know if you're seeing it. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, the confusion is, uh, let me let me explain everything to you very well so that you can understand. Okay, now, there are two kinds of sins. I, I've mentioned this to you before, but I want to show them to you. Go to First John chapter 5. Let's read verse 16. First John 5 verse 16. It says, if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death... He shall ask or he shall pray for him and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. Meaning that if you a Christian who is, uh, is stable in the Lord, if you see your brother has done something wrong, you are a good Christian. You don't do any foolish thing. You don't, you are not into sleeping around. You are not into stealing. You are not into lying. You are not into gossiping. You are not into doing all those things. And you know it by God's grace. You stand by grace, of course. And you are living the life that God wants you to live. He says, if you see another brother, in the house of God, okay, doing something foolish. He's been in the house for two years, for three years, for four years, for five years, and it's like he's not changing. He's fooling around. He's still not correct. He says, you should pray, ask, and supply him life. You can, you the one who is stable, can supply life to that person for the person to stand on his feet as a good Christian for the Lord. If you read in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, a similar thing is said there. Look at Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Have you it? It says, you who are spiritual, if you see your brother overtaken in a fault, let's read the Amplified so it's more, uh, it can explain to us some more. Brethren, if any person is overtaken in, in misconduct or sin of any sort, he says, you who are spiritual, who are responsive to and con... It's gone off. Amplified. So Galatians 6 1, amplified. Now, it says, Brethren, if any person is overtaken in, in, in misconduct or sin of any sort, okay, so if you see somebody else 
going through something like he person has fallen, he's had an issue, and you know about it, instead of blabbing your mouth all over the place about it, this is what he says you should do. You who are spiritual, who are responsive to and controlled by the spirit. So if you are spiritual, that's what you will do. He says you should set him right and restore and reinstate him without any sense of superiority and with all gentleness, keeping an attentive eye on yourself, lest you should be tempted also. <laughs> Amazing. I don't know if you're seeing it. Yeah. He says you should set him right. How do you set him right? And restore him and reinstate him. How do you do that? By prayer. Through prayer. Through prayer, you supply the spirit. Now, what he's saying here is that someone born again could do something wrong. I've been explaining that to you for some time now. You could do something wrong. Someone could do something wrong. Okay? Now, that is on a, is on a different platform. There are two kinds of sins, and I was trying to show it to you in First John chapter 5, verse 16, if you remember. And the first one is what we are mentioning now. It's called the sin that is not unto death. And for that one, you can pray for the person, for the person to be fine. You can supply life. Okay, so First John 5, 16, he says, If any man sees his brother's sin, a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, or he shall pray, and he shall give him life for him, for them that sin not unto death. Then he says, there's a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. You see, so he's differentiating two things. He says, there's a sin unto death, and I'm not saying you should pray for that one. If someone has sinned the sin that is unto death, you can't pray for the person. What is the sin that is unto death? The sin unto death is the sin of not believing in Jesus Christ. That is what takes people to hell. So the two kinds of sins are uh, the sin that takes people to hell and the fruits or the, the wrongs that Christians may do. I don't know if you catch it. So it, normally we refer to it in this way. The seed of sin or the tree of sin and the fruits of sin. Now, Christ came to deal with the seed and the tree of sin and the fruit of sin. If you cut the tree down, all the fruits are gone. Do you see? But because, so that is the first, the, the, the second kind of sin, which is actually the first, is the, the nature of sin that every human being born into this world is born with. That is the sin that Adam committed. Okay? That sin is what is now represented with not obeying Christ. Or not believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. So what takes people to hell is not believing in Jesus Christ. I, I've shown it to you several times. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 and 18. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17. Then it says, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. The word condemned there is judged. Let's read ASV or BBE, something that you see it very well. He that believeth on him, this is ASV. He that believeth on him, on Jesus, is not judged. Okay? It's called the judgment of sin. He that believeth not has been judged already. Because he has, why? Why has he been judged already? Because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten son of God. Have you seen it? Next verse. And this is the judgment, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, for their works were evil. Okay? So he's talking about um, the judgment of sin. If you read in John chapter 16, verse 7, you see a similar thing. Look at John 16, 7. Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. If I go not away, the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. 
And when he is come, he will reprove the world of number one, sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Then the next verse says, he will reprove the world of sin because they believe not on me. So this is, this is, the, this is the first sin, which I, I, I've been explaining to you all this while. Okay? They believe not on Jesus Christ. Of sin, he will convict, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin because they don't believe on me. They don't believe in me. Hallelujah. And this is what takes people to hell. This is a seed of sin that is taken away from a man when he's born, he's born again. As soon as you come born again, that seed with this tree is taken away because it is judged in Christ. Sin has already been judged in Jesus Christ. That was why Jesus hung on the cross. For the wages of sin is death. The payment of sin is death. Who died? Jesus died. He paid for sin. He died and paid for sin once and for all. So when you believe in what he did, that he died for you, and he rose again for you, that's judgment of sin, or that sin is taken away from you, and hence you cannot commit that sin again. That is why some people say that one sin forever sin. Because that sin is taken away, that seed is taken away, and that's what First John chapter 3 verse 9 said. That was what he was talking about when he said, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. What is he talking? He's talking about that seed of sin that is in humanity is taken away, including he's also referring to the fruit of sin. Because if the tree has been taken, if the seed has been taken away and the tree has been taken away, what happens to the fruit? The fruit is also taken away for his seed. Why can't he do? Why can't he commit that sin? Because his seed, the seed of God remaineth in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Have you seen it? When you become born of God, that seed of sin is taken away, and hence you cannot sin along that line. Okay? Because you're a child of God now. Now, like I said, it refers also, this refers also to the fruits. However, as you grow in the Lord, it's all an issue of sin. Sometimes you see a Christian who is fooling around. I, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm answering your question well for you. Okay? Um, he says, there are Christians, there's a popular teaching that says Christians do not sin. How does one not sin yet live a, a sinful lifestyle. So the reason why you are living a sinful lifestyle as a Christian is because you are not growing as you're supposed to. Okay? If you are growing as you're supposed to, you'll be fine. Now, I'm a man. I'm, a, I'm, I'm over 30 years old. Okay? Now, I am not more human than my, my son. Okay? Or a newly born baby. A newly born baby is as human as a 38, 39 year old man or 40 year old man. Is it true? Are they all human beings? If you kill the baby, will you be jailed? Would the government say, well, that was not a baby. It was, uh, it was, it was an animal. So it's fine. You know, the government won't say that you are going to be in trouble. The judge will put you behind bars because you killed a human being. Just as he will put you behind bars if you killed a 40 year old, the baby is as human as the 40 year old. Okay, but the difference between the 40 year old and the freshly born baby is growth. That is the only difference. Growth. For instance, a 40 year old will not fall down in a day. Just imagine a big man moving and walking in the streets. And then when he walks two spaces, he falls down. Then he stands up again and walks another two and then falls down again. And then walks another two and falls down again. What, what do you think will happen in town? Everybody will be looking at him and wondering what's going on. Has he lost his, his limbs? Has he lost his coordination? Has he lost his balance? What's happening? It will become a hospital issue. Yeah. But if a one-year-old boy or a nine-month-old baby is learning how to walk and falls, 
if that baby takes a step or two and then falls down, do you say this baby will never walk again? You don't say that. Why don't you say that? Because you know in your mind that that baby is growing. What would you do if you went to your auntie's house and you saw her five-month or six-month-old baby crawling on all fours? Will you say, ah, auntie, you've given birth to an animal? Because it's only cats and dogs and animals that, you know, crawl or walk on all fours. Is that what you're going to say? You're not going to say that. You won't say she has given birth to an animal. You know that's a baby. You don't get surprised that the baby is crawling. You know that the baby is growing. So you're not amazed. You're not surprised. So the issue of the fruits of sin or the things that people do, Christians do, is all an issue of growth. The reason why that Christian is messing up and maybe living a sinful lifestyle is because he's refused to grow in the Lord. He's as righteous as one who is living the life of God well. Righteousness is the same for them. They all have the same right. They all have Christ as their righteousness. They all have the gift of righteousness. They all have uh, uh the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. They, are, they have all the three levels of righteousness given to them by, by, by God at the new birth. But the difference between them is growth. The reason why one is fooling around and keeps falling is because he's learning how to walk in the Lord. That is why he says in First John chapter 1 verse 9, he says, if we sin, we must confess our sin to the Lord. He's faithful and just to forgive. What sin is he talking about? He's talking about the fruits of sin which happened because of the flesh. Okay? If you grew up in the Lord, you know that your flesh has been tamed. And therefore, your flesh cannot go along a certain line. And you need to implement the word of God for yourself in order to live the way God has designed for you to live. So it's all always an issue of growth. The reason why you are messing up is because you are not growing. When you start growing as you are supposed to, you'll be surprised at what will fall out of your life. You'll be shocked. So as a child of God, you cannot sin Hmm? the first type of sin, which is the sin unto death. That's eternal death. But you may, I'm not saying you will, you may do something wrong, okay, which is after the order of the second type of sin, which is the sin that is not unto death. And it shows us what to do to help you. It is we who are, those who are more mature should pray and supply life for those who are not so grown so that they can grow as they're supposed to. That's why I'm not surprised. I'm not um, we, we don't condemn you. I mean, you're growing. It's, it's understand. You did something wrong. Yeah, fine. Let's continue our lives. Focus on the word. If you focus on the word, the more you look onto it, the more you grow to become it. The more you behold it, the more you grow to become it. And that's our job. Our job is to lift the mirror of God for you to see who you are. Let you know that you are a king's kid. You are the prince of God. You are, the, you are a king with God. You are not to be eating from the gutters. Sin is like the gutters. Why would you eat from the gutters? When you have the opportunity of eating uh, at the at the dining table of the king, it doesn't make any sense. So it's only people who have a, a problem upstairs who would want to eat from the gutters when they have an opportunity to eat from the king's table or to eat from the, the president's table. It doesn't make any sense why you want to eat from the from the gutters. I don't know if you are catching it. Yeah. yeah. So you are you are as righteous as the one who is fine, who is doing everything okay in the Lord. The only difference is that you are not growing. And so you must grow. How do you grow? Through the word. On Sunday, I'm going to share with you concerning the word and how the word of God can help you grow as you're supposed to. Okay? If if you follow what God wants you to follow, read the word as you're supposed to, pray as you're supposed to. Yeah, I showed you a number of things that can help you grow on Sunday. As you focus on those things, you grow and you'll be surprised that with time, that girl that used to tickle your fancy will not tickle your fancy any longer. 
you, you, you'll be surprised. That stealing that was so big a deal for you will be gone out of your life. So what you need to do is to focus. What these people need to do is to focus. They're supposed to focus on God and what God has designed for them. They're supposed to focus on God's word, on prayer, focus on God's work. And a lot of things will change in their lives. Okay? The, the church is a hospital. It's a hospital. You come in with a broken leg, we fix it for you. And they will tell you, go and sin no more. Go and don't go and break. Who, who in his right senses will come to the hospital with a broken leg? They fix the leg and then he says, well, I'll be back with another broken leg. Who does that? Nobody does that. Okay? And God is conscious of it. So God is ready to help you. He says he's able to help us even in the time of our trouble. Reading Hebrews chapter 4, he's always there. He's a, he's a high priest who is touched with all the feelings of our infirmity and hence is able to help us. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews 4, verse 15. It says, Seeing then that we have a high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Verse 15. It says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Because he was tempted in all points like as we are, and he's, he has feelings, he's touched with our feelings, with the feelings of our infirmity, he's able to help us. So verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, so that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. He's there to help you in your time of need. Hallelujah. If you read in chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, um, I think verse verse 18, Hebrews 2, 18. Let's read 17 into, into 18. It says, Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Let, let's read the Amplify so that it makes more sense. Okay? So it is evident that it was essential that he be made like his brethren in every aspect, in every respect. Made like human, a human being. In order that he might become a merciful and sympathetic and faithful high priest. In the things related to God, to make atonement and propitiation for the sins of for the people's sins. Have you seen it? Yeah. For in that verse eighteen, for in that uh, this is uh, amplified. Eh? Okay, let's read the amplified. It's nice. For because he himself in his humanity was has suffered in being tempted, tested, and tried, he is able immediately. To run to the cry of assist, relieve those who are being tempted and tested and tried and who therefore are being exposed to suffering. He's able to immediately run to the rescue of all those who are struggling anyway. So he's there to help you. So God is not there to say, you did something, come on, get out of my face. No, that's not God. God is there to help you so that you can focus on him and grow as he wants you to. That's why God is in your life. And that's what you need to know so that you don't Kill yourself over something that you did wrong. God is there to help you to walk the way he has designed for you to walk and live for him. Hallelujah. Let me answer some more questions. Um, so this, this next question says, um, I have two friends whom are unemployed. So I try to help them by sending some, them some amount of money anytime I am paid. One is a drunkard and the other smokes weed. And it is the money I give to them that they use for these things. Should I continue to do my good service of sending them money or stop? Clearly, they don't need your money. 
to survive. They've showed it to you that they don't need your money to survive because it is not your money that they are using to survive. They have needs. They are needs. They are basic needs of every man. Food, water, shelter, clothing. These are basic needs. Now, they are showing clearly that they have satisfied these basic needs even though they are not um, employed and are now on an, another level of satisfying their wants. The drinking and the smoking is a want. It's not something they cannot do without. So if you are giving them money, and that's what they are using it for, then I advise you to keep your money and give it to the poor somewhere. Rather than service, because you know that you are servicing their, their addiction with what you are. You know it. You, you know it's clear to you. That's why you're asking this question. You know that you are servicing the addiction. Do you see? So, um, what you need to do is to withdraw your, your services because clearly your services to them is not, um, helping them solve their need, but it's helping them rather sustain their addiction. And you are aware. So, withdraw. Hallelujah. Then this one says, I have a job which pays 500 CDs per month. Per my calculation of transport, food, and shelter, I can't even save 50 CDs a month because I'm always left with 30 CDs every month. I go to church every Sunday and pay offering of 5 Ghana CDs, making it 20 Ghana CDs in a month. The remaining 10, I give it out to the needy. I want to know if there could be consequences for not paying my fights of 50 CDs, even though I give it out anyways. Well, that is the only thing that will secure your promotion. Okay? That is what will secure your promotion. So if you stop doing that, then you are going to have a problem. Clearly, you've noticed that the church does not need the 50 CDs for its development or for it to do well. What you are giving is for your own good and for your own for opportunities to open for you. Nobody can actually service the kingdom of God. Nobody can actually service the house of God. Okay? But God gives us an opportunity. Our giving, our fighting and giving is an opportunity that God has created for us to be blessed and be part of what he's doing. Hallelujah. Not because he needs something from you. So don't think that your fight is, uh, is something that is good for God. It is something that is actually good for you. You see, it's something that is very, very good for you because it is going to, God said in Malachi, Malachi 3 verse 8, that do this. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you have, you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed you? In thighs and offerings. Verse 9. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbed with, you, are, you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Verse, verse 10. Bring ye all the thighs into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith. See the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing and there shall not be room enough to receive it. He says, do this and I'll pour out for you a blessing. Okay. So it is in your own interest to do this so that you can receive the blessing you need for the, for the month. So this is not, that is not the money to even consider of uh, reducing. You should be thinking about, should I work for some miles to, to be able to, uh, save more not should i reduce my fight or should i not give my fight so that uh, i'll be fine no don't don't think about that one that is very very important because that is your 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 means of getting out from where you are that is your only means of getting to a higher level moving from that job that job that's paying 500 to a thousand or more 
That's the only means. If you don't give that, you are not assured of increase. That is the truth. As a child of God, God has given us that opportunity to be blessed and to be increased. So don't reduce that. Don't take that out from your life. Hallelujah. If you read in um, Hebrews chapter 7, let me show you a, a scripture in Hebrews chapter 7. Why fighting is very important. Let me read from verse 7. It says, and without all contradiction, Hebrews 7, 7, and without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. If you feel that God is bigger than you, then give to him because the less, the one who is lesser is blessed of the better. Okay. It's like a, a rich man, a billionaire asking you for 20 pesos to buy water or one cities to buy water. Will you say no? Why will you say no? Why would you say because giving him that one city to buy the water who will bring you into he will say, Ah, you're a good person. I want, let me, I want to do this for you. You don't know what you can have. Okay. So he says, without all contradiction, the less blessed or the better. Verse 8. Then he says, And here, men that die receive fights. He says, On earth, men who die receive fights. But there he received them in heaven. Jesus received them, of whom it is witness that he liveth. Jesus lives forever. So you're giving, giving your fight is your proclamation of the fact that Jesus is alive. It's your belief and your trust in the fact that Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, you know you can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I can go for it. Because he lives, I can be what he has designed for me to become. Hallelujah. The communion that we take was given to us by Jesus Christ to serve a reminder of his death. So by partaking of the communion, you are seeing that you believe in the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that, do this in remembrance of me. He says, if you do this, you declare my death until I come. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11. Then fighting is what gives you the opportunity to, to declare that Jesus is alive. You believe that Jesus is alive. As a child of God, you believe that Jesus is alive. So don't let anyone deceive you and make you think that the fight is not important. The church is taking your money and using your money for all kinds of things. Whatever you give to the church is used for the things of the church. It's not used for any other thing. We don't use your money to buy luxurious cars to, to ride. Others may do that. Remember that you would not have a fake dollar if there's no, there's no authentic dollar. You can't have a fake if there's no original. There's, the reason why there's a fake is because there's an original. So if you feel that um, some, some pastors are misbehaving and doing all, of, all kinds of things they're not supposed to do, know that there are originals that are there that are not doing that. Do you understand? Uh-huh. So always have that in your at the back of it. That's your only way of going forward. So don't stop it. Don't, don't. I'm, I'm a fighter. Okay, I give my fights. And I can attest to it. I can testify of it. Of how buoyant it has made me over the years. I remember when I gave offerings not more than those times it was, uh, was it 100 cities? That small coin, 100 cities. I couldn't give more than that. This is years ago. Years ago, early 2000s. I couldn't give more than that. Yes, I couldn't. But over the years, as I've practiced it and continued doing it, I've gotten better and bigger and greater over the years. I am not poor. I can say it confidently, I am not poor by God's grace. And I know how my, my wealth comes because of what I was taught when I was young to give my fight. We're, we're kids, but then we're taught to give fight and we're giving it. Your mom gives you money, you give a tenth of it, of it to God. If you don't learn to give God a tenth on 500 Ghana cities, you will not give God a tenth 
when you receive 500,000. And because you are not a good steward with that which is little, nobody will give you that which is much. He that is faithful in little will be faithful with much. He says, if you have not been faithful with another man's property, you will not be faithful with ones that are bigger, heavenly things. Hallelujah. So be faithful with what you're doing and God will promote you. You'll be promoted and expected. Don't just give your fight. Always have expectation. There are those who just give their fight. It's like, give their fight grumbling. Mm, they say we should give. We have given it. You will not be blessed because you're not, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Whatever you do in the house of God must be done in faith. Whilst you are giving your fight, believe what you have said concerning fighting. This, if you give, I shall open the windows of heaven and pour out upon you a blessing. So, whilst you are giving your fight, have expectation. This month is going to be my best month. This month, no hospitals, none of those things. I'm going to have men lying up blessing me. The windows of heaven are open for me to enjoy the blessings of God. You, you give like that and you'll be surprised. Hallelujah. I can give you testimony after testimony. Testimony after t- on a personal level. So don't stop it, okay? Um, this one says, Pastor, please, is my time up? My time is up. Okay, let me just answer this one quickly. Pastor, please, um, my, these are my questions. Okay, two of them. Is there any different heaven for other religions? Are there different heavens for other religions? What if they don't believe in Jesus Christ? Yeah, that is, that, that is why we are here on earth. Okay, we are here to let them know Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And if you know your, your Bible, you know that Jesus is God. He's the son of God. He actually he is God at once. And he came on earth. All those who believe in the God of Abraham must understand that Jesus Christ is that God of Abraham. Because there's a link from Abraham straight to Jesus. Muslims take their origins from Abraham through Ishmael. And Christians take their origins uh, uh, through um, um, Isaac through, through to Abraham. So all of us end up in Abraham. Okay, now the God of Abraham is a God who showed up as a man called Jesus Christ. Trace it, check in history, you'll be surprised. And when that man came, he said, I am the way to God. I am the truth. I am the life. If any man wants to come to the Father, he must come through me. That's the truth. So our job as Christians is to let them know that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, ours is not a religion. Ours is a life. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Okay? It's not a religion. So we are not trying to promote another religion. There's a religious aspect of Christianity, but that is not what we are about. That is not what Christianity is about. Christianity is a life. And that life can be given to anyone, including someone who is a Muslim. He can receive the life of God and have a relationship with God without having to change his culture. The problem with Islam is that it's been woven into the culture of the people. So it cannot be separated. The religion cannot be separated from the culture of the people. That's the problem. That is, that is where the problem is. I can tell you there are people who are, uh, who are compelled to do certain things in Islam, but are not, they are not Muslims. They are Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ as a Lord and personal savior. But because of religion, because of their culture and the religion, they do certain things with their families, but they are, at heart, they are not. They don't believe in Muhammad. They don't believe, Muhammad is not the way. He's not the truth. He's not the life. Jesus never mentioned his name. So, that is the truth. There's no other heaven. There's only one heaven. There's only one God. 
And that one God is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And that is why we need to preach the gospel to everyone. To everyone. He died for the whole world. He died for all of them. For Buddhists, for Shintoists, for Hindus, for all these people. He died for all these people. And our job as Christians is to announce to them the good news of what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. So that they can hear and believe. How shall they hear except they be a preacher? So you must preach to them so they can hear. Okay? That is our job. There's no, there's, there's no other heaven. There's no other heaven. And they must believe before they leave this earth. Hallelujah. That's why we pray and that's why we preach. That's why we go. We must go to them and not stay in our churches only. We must go to them. Okay, then your final question will be the final question. It says, Pastor, is it right for my wife to be a Muslim? Um, I don't know whether you marry the person as an unbeliever. If you marry from the scripture, the scriptures let us know that if you married someone as an unbeliever, you were not born again, and the person was a, is a Muslim, you fell in love, and you got married. Now you are born again. You can't divorce a person. I don't know if you catch it. You can't say, I'm divorcing you because you're a Muslim. No, there's nothing like that. You can't do that. So if you marry that person as a non-believer, then fine. That's, it's a yes, it's your wife. You can't do anything about it. Your job is now to pray for her and help her get born again without pushing it on her or him. Okay, there are several scriptures that shows up. First Corinthians chapter 7. Um, let me read from verse verse 13 first corinthians 7 from verse 13 says and the woman which has an husband that believeth not and if he be pleased let, let me read from let me read from verse 10 i think it will be it will be clear from verse 10 let's read a lighter version bbasv one of them so that we can all understand but to the married I give orders, though not I, but the Lord. This is what the Lord says. That the wife may not go away from her husband under no circumstance. Next verse. Then this, or if she goes away from him, let her keep unmarried. It's this called separation. This is where separation comes from. So separation is different from divorce. Okay? So let's say your husband is trying to kill you, trying to pour acid on you. Don't stay there and say, God says you should not divorce. Please, move to your father's house. She, he's trying, he's going to kill you if you stay. Mm? They are beating you, domestic violence. They are beating you. They are cutting you and all of that. And you are staying. You say, oh my, it's my husband. Whatever I do, I must be there. Even if I have to die in the marriage. That's not the death. You are not the one Jesus, God sent to come and die. Please, don't move. So the separation, it says, or if she goes away, so you can go away from him and be unmarried. Okay? That's there. That's available. It says, or if she goes away from him, let her keep unmarried. Or be united to her husband again. So there's a reunion. When things are settled, you can go back to your husband's house. And that the husband may not go away from his wife as well. Next verse, verse, verse 12. Quickly, please. But to the rest I say, and not the Lord. If a brother has a wife who is not a Christian, and it is her desire to go on living with him, let him not go away from her. Have you seen it? So if you want to go, let's say your wife is a, you, you, you are born again, you are not born again, you got married, now you are married, you don't want to stay with her. You say you can be separated, but don't divorce her, or don't divorce him. Have you seen it? And it is her desire to go on living with him. Let him not go away from her. Next verse. I don't know if you get it. He says, he says even the other person, if, if the Muslim uh, 
wants to live with you as a Christian, then you can continue living with her. Not the other way around. You can live. You stay. You're a Christian. You stay. <laughs> then it says, and if a woman has a husband who is not a Christian, and it is his desire, the husband's desire to go on living with her, let her not go away from her husband. Have you seen it? Next verse. For the husband who has not faith is made holy through his Christian wife. And the wife who is not a Christian is made holy through the brother. If not, your children would not would be unholy, but now are they holy. Next verse, verse 15. Then it says, but if the un, but if the one who is not a Christian has a desire to go away, let it be so. The brother or the sister in such a position is not forced to do one thing or the other. But it is God's pleasure that we may be at peace with one another. Have you seen it? Uh-huh. Then, uh, verse 16. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 is what I want you to see. It says, for how may you be certain, O wife, that you will not be the cause that you will not be the cause of salvation to your husband? How do you know? Maybe you are the one who is going to be the cause of your husband's salvation. Or you, oh husband, that you may not do the same for your wife. How do you catch it? This one didn't say, well, let's read the Amplified of verse 16 so that you understand it well. For wife, how can you be sure of converting and saving your husband? Husband, how can you be sure of converting and saving your wife? Have you seen it? They are, they, they are not saying it right, but the King James says it right. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? That's the King James. For what knowest thou, O wife? It says, maybe you are the one who will save your husband. Or maybe, man, you are the one who will save your wife. So stay with them. Don't go. That's what he's trying to say. If you read in First Peter chapter 3, um, verse 3. First Peter 3, 3. Oh, hallelujah. I don't know if you're learning anything at all. Let me read from verse 1, rather. Go to verse 1. First Peter 3, 1. He says, likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, if any of them are not born again, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. The same applies to the husband. I see it. Let's read Amplified. It's long, but we read it. In like manner, you married women, be submissive to your own husbands, subordinate yourselves as being secondary to and dependent on them and adapt yourself to them, so that even if any do not obey the word of God, they may be won over not by discussion, but by the godly lives of their wives. Have you seen it? So he's saying that your godly life can win the person over to Christianity. So that is the condition of the one who got married to a Muslim before he got born again, before he or she got born again. All that I've said is for that group. Now, if you are born again today and you want to marry a Muslim, he says no. That's the answer to you who's desiring to marry a Muslim. He says, don't be a fool, be smart. No. So go to First Corinthians, um, sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 6. Let's read verse 14. Second Corinthians 6, 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Okay? Be not what unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? If you go on, you see it. Now, the unequal yoking has to do with marriage. He's talking about marriage. You can't yoke, you know, in those, during the old times, you could, uh, you could have two cows. Okay? who are going to be used to plow a particular land for farming to plant corn, wheat, whatever now the cow they must be cows and they must be equal sized 
with equal strength if you yoke and then they put a yoke around their neck they put a wood with a certain um, metallic aspect to it okay they put it around the, their necks and then they 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 pull the plow together to plow the land that is yoke now you cannot yoke a cow with a horse the horse will go fast and kill the cow and the cow's strength will destroy the horse what is letting you know that no is that if you are born again don't even try don't say oh i'll change her what do you mean by you change her don't say i'll change him what do you mean by you change him you are going to destroy your life forever marriage is very interesting and you should next month i'm going to be talking about marriage and all of those things don't just get involved with anybody as a christian there are strict instructions concerning who you can marry and who you shouldn't marry and one of them the, the, the first level is not to marry someone from another religion you are going to kill yourself don't try so it says be not unequally yoked together with one million there are other many other scriptures i can show you but because of time okay so take your attention from that muslim bring your attention to christians and even out of christians remember even if they are both cows you must marry you must yoke a cow with equal strength equal height equal everything or else the other cow will slow the other cow down so even amongst christians there's a place where you can be there there are specifications that god gives depending on what you believe because christians have different there are different classes or different levels of christians and what they believe hallelujah you marry someone who believes alike if someone is someone who's born again that's not believing in speaking in tongues and you believe in speaking in tongues i don't see why you want to marry that person you will have trouble with time it's just time don't say i'm in love i don't know what next month we'll talk about all these things god bless god bless you for listening we pray that the word of god will be rooted and grounded in your heart as you give attention to the word kindly follow pastor t and love economy church on all social networks for more of god's word don't forget to subscribe to the pastor t podcast simply search for pastor t on any podcast app plug in and enjoy god's word Visit our website at loveeconomychurch.org for more information. God bless you.